chapter 2. I'll remind you of the reference again in a minute. Let me just pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is more than just a story. It is more than just a manual. It is your revelation. It is your God-breathed revealing to us in written form of who you are, of what you've done, of what you're doing, of what you're going to do. And it proves time and time and time again that you are the answer to everything in our lives. Not as some pat, sentimental Jesus is the answer, but you truly do fulfill every question, every need, every desire, every fear. You are the answer. And Lord, we thank you. And may, yet again, just as we read this small passage and other parts of your word this morning, may you again, through Holy Spirit, reveal yourself in greater capacity to us this morning, that we come away from here different people because we've met with the living God. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, this morning, what are we going to be speaking on? Uh, Today's sermon is called Preach to Yourself. And hopefully, in half an hour's time, all will be revealed. Preach to yourself. Sounds a little bit weird. Sounds a bit self-helpy. It isn't, I can assure you. It is practical and it is biblical. And uh, I'll explain a little bit more uh, as we go on. But uh, just to explain where we've been, obviously, we've had a second chunk of Genesis already, haven't we, throughout the, the autumn term. And um, we've, uh, we're only 17 chapters into Genesis so far. We'll return to it in a little while. We've got another little mini-series coming up starting week after next. Uh, one another series. There's five weeks looking at loving one another, honouring one another, encouraging one another. It's just something we can learn as a family, uh, what God says about one anothering. And we, I think we do it very well, but we can always learn more, can't we? So just for, before we rush back into Genesis again, uh, so we put Paul's on Genesis, a little thing called Christmas came, came along, and then we're going to have a one another series just for a few weeks, and then February, March, we'll be back in Genesis. But so far, just in those 17 chapters, we're talking about the Bible is more than just God's story, it's his revelation. Just in those first 17 chapters of the Bible as we know it, just that tiny little chunk there, uh, we've already learned about our origins, about how God was before all things, how he made all things, how he made us in his image, about his blueprint for life, for family, for society, for community, and so on. We've learned how, uh, right from the very... Right, right at the beginning, we ruined it, didn't we? <laughs> we did like that. Man's heart is a terrible thing. And we ruined it, and all have fallen from grace. We are all sinners. We're all under sin. As a result, we're all under God's judgment for sin. A perfect God can't tolerate imperfection. And God had to deal with that. And we're all under this judgment, this curse. The curse is a judgment as a result of the sin that's in our hearts. Not just the things we do, but the the core of our heart, the state of our heart that causes those actions. And yet, all along, right from the very start, we see that there, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this amazing communal triune God had a rescue plan in place all along. And then we see echoes and foreshadows and revelations of it and clues to it of what God was going to do. 
And of course, as we read the rest of the Bible, we see what he's already done and therefore is doing as well. And that's just in those first 17 chapters of Genesis. It's amazing. So we will come back to it. Don't worry. But there was one sermon just a few weeks ago, November the 23rd, I think it was. Do you remember Sam Morris came over from Faversham? Big, tall Sam, who I can look up to. And he brought Steph and their little bump. Not so little bump. And um, no news yet. Nothing's happened yet. And... um, he asked us one question. Can you remember what the question was, what the title of his sermon was? I know Julian can remember. Hold your horses. Can anybody, anybody else remember what Sam asked us? Who are you listening to? She beat you to it. She beat you to it. Who are you listening to? It was the story of, of uh, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and all that. But um, it's that one question. Who are you listening to? Are you listening to God? Are you listening to other things? And just in conversation with Julian a few weeks back and wondering what to preach on this this uh, post-Christmas Sunday, uh, this whole subject came up again. It obviously struck Julian as much as other people and myself as well. Who are you listening to? And I thought it would be really helpful just to unpack that a little bit more. We are surrounded by many voices in this world. And just to un- unfold a little bit more of what it means to listen to God and also just recognise what some of these other voices are so we can differentiate, we can discern, and so we can be sure of who it is we're actually listening to. Is that all right? Uh, we had an experiment last week with the Frozen song, didn't we? Did you enjoy that? Do you want another experiment? Was it? You enjoyed it? Let's have another experiment. It won't be a sing-along experiment. It's going to be an experiment involving my scarf. Can I have a volunteer, please? I won't, I won't hang you with the scarf. It's all right. Any volunteer who would like to volunteer? Good old Julian. Go on then. Right. Come and stand over here, Julian. Do you want to take your glasses off? I'll give them to your good lady wife. I have washed this sometime this year. It's not too bad. Can you see anything? I don't want to cover your nose up too much. I want you to breathe. Right. Can I have four more volunteers of the opposite persuasion? Can I have four ladies? So similar voices. Four ladies. I don't want to do it too tight. But as long as you, can you see? It's a bit too tight. You sort it out, as long as it doesn't fall off. It's all. Four ladies. Right, if you can come and stand over here. You four come and stand over here. It is loud, isn't it? Booming. Julian, you face this way. Now then. June is the good voice. Okay? The other three, not so much. Just for now. Nothing personal. You have two objects in front of you. You've got the the two stands here. I would like Julian to walk towards the window in a minute. June will guide you. So will the others of a fashion. You want to listen to June. You don't want to listen to the others. Put him off course. Okay, you will have to discern between the four voices which is the one you should be listening to so you don't bump into anything. Should we give it a go? This could go horribly wrong, but it'll be funny. All right, are you ready? Go for it.
Very good. Well done. Give him a round of applause. June and Julian, top team. Well done. Never mind you guys. You did well. Thank you very much. You can take your seats. Can you find your way back to your seat without your glasses? Do you want me to guide, guide you to your chair? Well done, guys. As you can see, he did very well. Why did he do well? He was listening to the right voice. He was listening. <laughs> You've done it before, haven't you? Just do, just do what you should say. It's scary, isn't it? No, I'm joking. You listen to the right voice, but there was a babble of other voices. It's being able to discern the right voice. See, the story goes, there was an employee who was sent to a company remote office. It's a one-man office, middle of nowhere, let's say Alaska. And he had to go and man this office. And his boss said to him, the boss of the company, said to him, here's a two-way radio and the policy and procedures manual. Take those with you. I'll contact you when you get there. Makes his way. Days and days of travelling, middle of nowhere. 12 hours from email. And he finally gets there, sets everything up, and a crackle on the two-way radio comes through, and this is his boss. He says, right, first instruction, you need to know this. We have competitors, we have enemies, and they have access to this channel. So you need to be aware that they are very good at impersonating me. So whatever you see hear, hear coming through on this radio might be me, it might not be, <gasps> says the employee. Well, what am I going to do? And he goes, fear not, says the boss. All you need to know and remember are three things. Firstly, know the manual. You've got your policy and procedures manual. Get to know it well. Because the more you get to know it, the more you realise what I tell you will always be in line with the policy and procedures manual. What my competitors, the enemies, those voices trying to sound like me, what they tell you will most certainly not be in line with the policy and procedures manual. Get to know the manual. Nothing I say will ever contradict it. Secondly, get to know my voice. Julian could pick out June's voice amongst the other voices. Get to know my voice. Because when you hear the others impersonating me, you need to know the nuances of my voice, the timbre, the tone, the rhythm, how I speak, the type of words I use. Get to know my voice. They can be very good at impersonating me, Mike Yarwood and all that. But, remember him? But it will never actually be my voice. The more you get to know my voice, the more you get to know that theirs isn't my voice, even no matter how good they sound. Get to know the manual, get to know my voice. Thirdly and lastly, just get to know my purpose. Over time, the more you get to know my manual, the more you get to know my voice, you get to understand my purpose for all things, it will become clearer. It will become clearer. The more you see it, the more you know it will never change. And the more you see it, the more the other voices would jar because they go against the grain of my purpose. Get to know the manual, get to know my voice, get to know my purpose. That's what God says to us. The Bible is more than a manual, I've already said that, but you can understand the, the correlation here. So get to know my word, get to know my Bible, get to know my revelation. You can't know me without diving into this. And then he says, get to know my voice, how I speak to you. Pray, learn to pray. 
Find different ways of praying. Different ways. People have prayer cards. I've got a prayer dice in my. I've got an eight-sided dice in my pocket that helps me pray. I'll tell you about that another time. Come and ask me. Find little ways that help you pray. While you're out and about driving, if you're better off doing it in walking, while you're doing the cooking, while you're sitting down quiet for half an hour, lots of different ways. Get to know to pray. But prayer is more than just coming to me with a shopping list and talking at me. Talk with me. Listen out for my voice. Feel Holy Spirit's touch. There's lots of... I mean, we could do a whole sermon on each of these, can't we? It says, get to know my voice. How I speak to you through circumstances, through all different means, and through the word itself. Get to know my words, get to know my voice, and lastly, get to know my purpose. The more you get to know my voice, the more you get to know my words, you get to understand my purpose for all things and for you as an individual. And the more you know my purpose, the more you know that that will never change, and the more the other voices will jar, because they just go against the grain of it. So just remember those three things. Get to know God's word, his his voice, and his purpose. Let's just read Colossians chapter 2, verse uh, verse 6, just verse 6 to 10. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossus. They are surrounded by many voices. Man's clever wisdom and ways of thinking, philosophies and so on. Their understandings of the truth and the world and reality. They're coming up with all these great, majestical, clever ideas, but they're not the right ones. And so Paul's saying to the church over here, verse 6, he says this. Therefore... As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. There's the ultimate boss, if you like. He's the one we've got to keep our eyes fixed on. David was already sharing that during worship this morning, keeping our eyes fixed on him. And Paul's saying you are surrounded by other philosophies, other ways of thinking about what this world is all about, what this life is all about. According to human tradition, but he also says according to the elemental spirits of the world as well. There's a physical level, but there's also a spiritual level as well. We're surrounded by these voices. They were in Colossus as well. Nothing's changed. Same planet. Same things going on. And what is Paul saying? Don't be taken captive by them. Because that can even happen without you realising. And so just for a moment, I just want to look at three areas where these different voices can come from. And throughout it, we keep remembering what the three things we need to remember is word, is voice and purpose. His word, his voice, and his purpose. What are these other voices coming at us? Where are they coming from? Three places. They come from the world. The, vo- the philosophy is an empty deceit according to human tradition that Paul talks about. There's also the devil. There is the spiritual element as well. We'll look at that briefly. And then we'll actually finish on our hearts. The voices in our own hearts as well for a last-minute reminder of word, voice, and purpose. So, first of all, the world. Lots of voices out there. Just turn on your telly. They're everywhere. Adverts and news and media. It's not propaganda. We can't be cynical about the news. But it is bent a certain way, depending on which channel you're watching or which paper you're reading. 
It's always filtered, in a way, by other people's worldviews. It is. The things we get to hear about, the things they focus on, or they decide they need to focus on, aren't always what we should be focusing on. Not being cynical, but it's a reality. Human voices, human philosophies. We're surrounded by these voices. There are labels out there. People get labelled. We label ourselves. We label each other easily. The fat one, the thin one, the clever one, the stupid one. You won't amount to much. Anybody had that spoken over them before? Heard that said about them? It's a big fat lie. But we hear it and we take it on board and we listen to that voice, don't we? Do we not? You'll be happy when you get this vacuum cleaner. All your problems will be sorted when you get this new car. Everything will be all right when you meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. No, there's still people that still let you down. Get married. I don't say not. But there's still people. You'll be happy when you get this new kind of toothbrush. You'll be happy when you get this new form of monopoly. It's all these adverts, all you'll be happy when you get it. There's a brilliant video went online just this past week. Jerry Seinfeld, the American comedian, people know him. He won an award at an advertising, a big advertising industry award. And his speech ripped them to pieces. And they are laughing along with him because it's very, very funny. He's tearing them to shreds. But they're laughing with him. And he's saying, I love the advertising industry because I'm really, really, really happy when I'm watching the advert and I'm really, really happy when I'm believing the advert that I'll be happy when I get it. And I know I won't be happy when I get it, but I'm really happy on the way I get in there because I'm enjoying the advert and I'm enjoying the idea that I'll be happy when I get there. When I get that product, I'm not happy at all. I want the next one. He says this quite openly and they're laughing away. Maybe it's because they know they make money out of it. I don't know. But that's, that's what the world is out there. Our Western world is all about stuff and all about contentment in the wrong things. It's a voice. And we get sucked into it, don't we? We get sucked into it. Your identity is in your wealth or in your social standing. That's a lie. But that's what the world tells us. It's a big fat lie and we can believe it. Yes, I'm, I'm doing all right, actually, because I earn umpty million a year. I'm all right, really. People should respect me. I earned it myself. People find their identity in it or in their social standing. People can also feel inferior because they don't have that money or they don't have that social standing. Why? No different to God. God still thinks of you the same way. And yet we can feel inferior because they don't have as much money as the next person, as the Joneses down the road. We don't have the same social circle or the same abilities or talents. It makes no difference to God. He still looks at us exactly the same as anybody else. But we still buy that lie, don't we? It's another voice. Lots of voices everywhere. But it's not just in who you are. It's also in the way you should think. Even the God channel, there's some good stuff on the God channel. I'm not saying don't watch it at all. But there's some stuff on there that's not so good. I'm not saying don't watch the God channel. Because like I say, there is some good stuff on there. But be discerning. Be discerning. Because there is stuff, some stuff on there that is not biblical. But there's some stuff on there that is. It's good to watch the stuff that's not biblical as well. What does God really say? What's his word? What's his voice? What's his purpose? Does this fit? But just be discerning. Just be aware there are voices everywhere. 
Some of them are God speaking to us. There's a whole load out there that isn't. I must move on. Very quickly, 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 to 4, just briefly, just in there, Paul talks about having itching ears, wanting to hear the voice that will tell you what you want to hear. That's what he's talking about, and he's warning Timothy to warn the church about these itching ears. Even just in the church, we can look for mentors and people to give advice. And I've seen it before, people go to a number of people looking for advice until they find the person that gives them the advice they wanted in the first place. (laughs) But it's a game we buy into. Ah, I really respect you because you said what I wanted you to say. Find mentors, find disciples, but the best mentors, the best disciples are often the people who will tell you what you don't want to hear, but it's true. Because they love you and they want you to grow. Just be very aware of that. Be teachable. Moving on, we're running out of time already, aren't we? That's the world. That's for an example. It's barely scratching the surface. There are a lot of voices out there. I know you know what I mean now. A lot of voices. Be discerning. What's God's word? What's his voice? What's his purpose? Get to know them. You'll be able to discern. The devil is very real. He's out there. He's not in hell. That's not his HQ with a big oak desk, twiddling his thumbs, sending his minions off to do their stuff from HQ. He's not in hell. That's reserved for him for the future. Where has he been sent? Here. This is his HQ. Be very aware of it. One thing he hates is the church. One thing he doesn't mind is the church not really going for it and being lukewarm. He's quite happy with that. But he hates the church going for God. He hates the church putting Jesus first. He hates the church resisting temptation. He hates the church working together, loving one another, making a difference in this world and preaching Christ. He hates that and he'll do anything he can to put us off track. But he doesn't do that with full frontal assaults, does he? He does pincer attacks. He does half-truths. He didn't come up to Adam and Eve right at the very beginning and say to them, God was wrong when he said such and such. He was wrong. What he really meant was, blah, blah, blah. Didn't. All he said was, did God really say that? Just puts that little doubt in your head. You just get some questioning. Just be aware, there's two types of questioning. There's one type of questioning, just asking, I don't really understand this in God's word. What does it really mean? Working it out together. That's what this morning's all about. That's fine. It's good to be open and to understand things. It's good to watch stuff you don't agree with and work out why you don't agree with it. But be discerning. But there is also the questioning where God has quite clearly said something, but you don't want to believe it because it suits you. And that's what the devil does. Did God really say, sure you're going to come under judgment, you just eat that bit of fruit? Be all right, wouldn't it? It's only a bit of fruit. If they'd gone, what was his voice? What did he really say? He said, don't. And I know his voice, and it was God who said that. And his purpose is, that we are kept in perfect intimacy and communion with him by resisting that temptation. So no, I won't. But they didn't know at the time God's word, God's voice, God's purpose. And they went with what the devil was putting in their head. Did God really say? Won't be a problem, will it? Everything changed. That's the devil. He twists things. The best disguises are the ones right under our nose. The best con tricks are the ones that look normal. And you get duped until it's too late. Just be aware. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says the devil is on the prowl. He's stalking. He's not coming right at you because it'll be obvious. He just slides in, slides out. Before you know it, 
Your pattern of thinking is over here somewhere. Don't be captured by these empty deceits or the elemental spirits. It's just that, just your thoughts, you're wandering off. Just keep constantly. What is his word? What is his voice? What is his purpose? If you're not convinced already, Revelation 12, the devil is, is described as the accuser and the deceiver. And in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4, he's described as an angel of light. He looks all right sometimes. Looks quite nice. Looks lovely. The best disguises are the ones right under our nose. Just be careful. What is God's word? What is God's voice? What is God's purpose? How does he put these things in our head? For example, he reminds us of old sins that we've spoken to God about. They still get dredged up, don't they? The way we've treated someone, the way we've spoken to someone, the way we've let people down in the past, in secret or in public. If you've spoken to God, if you've confessed your sins, if you've repented, if you lay them at the feet of the cross and say, I'm really sorry for what I did, I genuinely am. And I know I'm just a weak person, but I need your help to not do that again. I'll do what I can to avoid it, but please help me. I'm sorry. God's like, it's fine. It's done. Dusted. And yet those, those things keep coming back years later. And we feel that shame and that guilt. And the problem is, when you go to God to talk to him about it again, because you feel so bad about what you did in 1927, God's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've forgotten it. No idea what you're talking about. He doesn't know what you're talking about. He's decided to forget. God can do that. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our transgressions from us. That's how it works. If you think about the globe, north to south, they meet. North Pole, you carry on south. When you hit the South Pole, when do you start going? North. North and south meet. Keep going east. What happens? You keep going east. When does it become west? It doesn't, does it? And the same with west. East and west never meet. North and south do. East and west never meet. There is an infinite distance between the two. When God says, that's why he's chosen that. He doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. He says as far as the east is from the west. He says that for a reason. There is an infinite distance between them. When you come back to him with old sins that you've repented before and spoken to him about, when you come back to him because the devil's dredging it up in your brain again, God's going, I don't know what you're talking about. They're done. They're dusted. What is God's word? What is his voice? What is his purpose? When you know that, you go, devil, back off. In the name of Jesus, I'm not going to go over that anymore because that's dealt with. I know I should feel bad about it. I did once, but I don't need to anymore because it's dealt with. Jesus died for me on the cross for that sin. I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. Moving on. Don't listen to him. It's a lie. We get sucked in, don't we? Know these voices. Even the, what's the point? Would I be missed if I don't bother going to church? Doesn't really make any difference, do I? Well, why don't I treat such and such as the same way as they treat me? It's only right, isn't it? My right to treat them the way they treat me. We can believe these little things because they make us feel better. But what is his word, voice and purpose? God's like, we can do that differently together, can't we? We can treat them differently together. You do make a difference at church. We've all got parts to play in the body. We just need to know his voice. And not the other voices. Moving on before we run out of time. That's the devil. If you want to know any more, please do come and ask me. 
The other place where these voices can come from is ourselves, our hearts. Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher in London many years ago, the great doctor, as they call him, he's written a book called Spiritual Depression. I'm halfway through it, and it's already one of the best books I've ever, ever, ever read. Lots of fans. What a book. Seriously, read it. You have my copy when I'm done, but give it back because I want to read it again. Seriously, it is so good. It is just absolute, pure biblical truth. It's amazing. It's brilliant. In there, in that first, I had to read the first chapter, put it down, walk away and think about it for a week. There's just so much in there. In that very first chapter, he says this sentence. He asks this question. Are you listening to yourself or are you talking to yourself? Are you listening to yourself or are you talking to yourself? And I explain. He talks about in Psalm 42, David says... Why are you downcast, O my soul? This is what David says. It's a famous line. We've heard it before. He said it a couple of times, verses 5 and 11. In Psalm 42, Why are you downcast, O my soul? David is being very real, but he deals with it in a fantastic way. He's not saying, I'm not depressed. Everything's fine. He's admitting he's depressed. Why are you downcast, O my soul? He's accepting he's depressed. Depression is a real thing. It's fine. But neither does he wallow there and enjoys wallowing. I'm just going to stay underneath my continental court all day. Or get drunk or watch Jeremy Kyle all day or whatever. And make myself feel better or just eat loads of cake. He doesn't. He goes, why are you downcast on my soul when you've got this great big God who loves you very much? He's not listening to himself. A bit rubbish, that stuff you've done in 1930. You should feel that small because you're rubbish. And nobody loves you, and you've got no talents, you've got no money, everybody hates you. What's the point in getting up? No one will miss you. He doesn't listen to himself, he talks to himself. He's preaching to himself. This is why the sermon is called Preach to Yourself. He's preaching to himself, saying, Why are you downcast on my soul? I get it, it's real, but you don't need to stay there. Who is your God, and what does he think of you now? Live in the light of it. Are you listening to yourself in the mornings or are you talking to yourself? I hate my job. It's a rubbish job. What's the point? I'm just going to do my barest minimum, go home again. I'm not going to talk to anyone. I'm not going to be nice because I don't even want to be here. Or I really don't like my job and I'm praying for maybe to God to move me on. But in the meantime, he's left me here for a reason. And I'm a child of God. I'm meant to make a difference. I'm going to glorify him. I'm going to bless the people there even though I don't like my work. That's talking to yourself instead of listening to yourself. Two different things to see. A lot of things I see on Facebook is um, follow your heart. Oh, I hate that. Oh, hate it. My heart is the last thing I want to be listening to. (laughs) Because what does the Bible say? The heart is deceitful above all things. That's the last. I'm the last person I should be listening to when it comes to things like that. I want to listen to his voice. I want to know what he has to say over me. I want to know what he tells me. Follow your heart? Uh, uh, uh. That's what started this trouble in the first place back in Genesis. Follow your heart. Load of old doodah. Do you follow your gut feelings? We can have a tendency to do that. It's actually a bit dangerous. I just went with my gut feeling. Sometimes there is a Holy Spirit 
action. I, I get a feeling in my gut when something's not right and I can't put my finger on it. I get this feeling in my gut until, through prayer, through reading his words, spending time with God, discerning it over time when I can nail what's going on, even though I didn't know what it was, there is that gut feeling that's different. And when we can nail it and talk with the other elders and we, we, we talk about it, it goes. It's, it's the way of Holy Spirit speaking to me. But when it's gut feeling, as in, I just went with my hunch, you listen to your heart again. You've got to be so careful. Do you make decisions and then pray about it afterwards? Or do we go to God first in prayer? Oh, I don't always. don't even realize I've done it. This is why prayer is not a quarter of an hour in the morning, half an hour at night, whatever it is. When I mean, it is, but it's not just that. Prayer is a 24-7 conversation with God and something we need to learn. And none of us are that good at it. Prayer is a walking conversation. Enoch walked with God. It's a prayer life. And I want to do that more and more. And as we do that more and more, we won't be making rash decisions without speaking to him first. Because we'd have done it by natural default anyway. The more we look to him, the more transformed we are. The more we look to him, the more our anxieties reduce. The more we look to him, the more our perspective is broadened. The more we look to him, the more our preoccupations lose power and control over us. How long we got? got? A couple of minutes. 2 Corinthians verse 6. And you see Paul doing exactly this. He doesn't listen to himself. He preaches to himself. He's doing it out loud to others, but you see what he's doing here. 2 Corinthians, verse six, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8. In the second half of that verse, he says this. He could be listening to himself, and as a result of this little list, he could be thoroughly depressed and stay there and go and eat cake in bed all day. But he doesn't. He reframes it. And he preaches Second half of verse 8, it says, We are treated as impostors, and yet are true. He's listening to the truth there. As unknown, and yet well known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. I love this one. This is one for me. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. There's lots in life that can get us down. But even in that sorrow, we can find joy in our God. As poor, yet making many rich. is a good one for today. It's not about money. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. He's not listening to himself. He's talking to himself. He's preaching to himself. Are you fearful for the future? Do you know your God is sovereign has you in his hands, he's got his best intentions for you, it will be okay. That's not a pat answer. That's what his word, that's what his voice says. Are you discontent? Do you know that all these things we try and find our contentment in will pass anyway? He won't, ultimately. He doesn't mind us having stuff. He's okay with that. It's when it takes a hold of us and we want more stuff because we're not happy. It's like, please be happy with me first. But we buy into the voice, don't we? 
Do you live in regret and shame? Or do you know that he died for your sins once and for all? Deal with them. Talk to him about them. That's fine. But once you've done that, don't come back to him. He won't remember them. Do you think you're worthless and you've got nothing to offer? Or do you know that you're loved by a heavenly father, treasured by an amazing giving son, comforted by an awesome Holy Spirit? That's the truth. That's what his word says. And so, what are the three things we need to remember? His word, his voice, and his purpose. Should we just stand just for a moment? Lord, we are... It's just a date, but we're entering a new calendar year. And Lord, this is often the time we reflect on things past and things future. This is traditionally the time where people set goals or resolutions or whatever they want to do. It's just a time to recalibrate and review. And Lord, may we just take this opportunity to review things in the light of you. To review things in the light of a Heavenly Father. And through Christ on that cross, we are your children. And Lord, help us to know your word more. Help us to know your voice more. Jesus said, your, your sheep will know your voice. I want to know your voice more than I ever have done before. I want to hear you through the maelstrom of the other voices out there in the world and in my heart and the devil and his minions and what they're up to. We, are, we can feel bombarded. And yet I want to hear your voice clearer than ever above all of that. Digital over analogue. This clear signal that is, I get to know you more. And your purpose. That one day you will make all things new. And that time of that 2,000 years ago, that weekend was a pinprick in this great tense balloon of brokenness. That pinprick came and started new things. And Lord, I want to live in the light of that. I want to know your voice. I want to wake up in the mornings for you. I want to wake up in the mornings not going, good God, it's morning, but good morning, God. I want to wake up with a fresh perspective every day of who you are and who I am in you who we are together in you. The great purpose you have over us as your people, that we, through Christ, are eternally secure. That that is a guarantee. And we can live in light of that, but also in light of the more individual promises you have poured out over us as Beacon Church, for family, for miracles, Lord. But also, we want to, live in light of the promises you've given us as individuals. Many of us have had prophecies. Lord, are we holding to them? Sometimes they seem like they're not coming to pass. But help us to live in light of them, to know your purposes over us and to trust you. But Holy Spirit, we need your help to do this as always. Teach us to, to know your voice more and more. Teach us to dive into the word, to, to dig deeper into that amazing rich gold mine 
that the more these voices bombard us, the more we'll pick them out straight away as being false. We won't buy into those philosophies, we'll only buy into yours. Lord, we thank you for what's to come in 2015. No idea what it is, but we're looking forward to it. We know you have great promises over us as a church, as a body of people. But Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you at all times, no matter what comes our way. We love you so much. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' precious, precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Any questions, anything you want to pray for? please do come and find us. We would love to pray with you. If you want to meet up in the new year and talk about it more, please let me know. We can do that as well. If not, teas and coffees are served. Lovely to see you. Thank you, everyone.